You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. Good morning, everybody. It's great to be back with you. I appreciate the confidence uh, that uh, Pastor Chris uh, has to ask me to come. Maybe everybody else said no. And uh, he knows that I want to do this. And uh, it's, it's, I hope this is going to be a good time for us. Um, if you have a Bible, uh, I'm going to read the passage today. is from Matthew 7, verses 24 through 28. If you would please stand uh, while, I do th- while I read this. We just do that in honor of the Word. It says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine... And puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and uh, beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had the foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew. And beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. So let's bow our heads, please. Father, I thank you for this good day. Lord, it's the Lord's day. We rejoice, and we are glad in it. So, Father, I pray that you would just give us ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord wants to say through a broken vessel this day. Lord, I pray that you would be honored by our worship, by our giving, and by the Word. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, and all the people said, amen. Please be seated. I'm going to be talking to you about uh, your foundation in life, and that how it's so important, that, and that needs to be one of your priorities, which brings me to a story that I heard several years ago uh, this middle-aged man rushes up to a police officer, and he says, Officer, my wife is missing. She went shopping yesterday, and she has not come home. The sheriff said, Well, tell me about, can you describe her, how, what's her height? And he's re- taking notes. He said, What's her height? He said, I- I'm not real sure. I think she's a little, right around five feet tall, maybe. He said, How about her weight? He said, Well, you know, that's kind of comes and goes. She's not slim. She's not real heavy. He said, how about the color of her eyes? He said, I, I think they're brown. No, they're hazel. Maybe, I, I'm not sure. How about her hair color? Well, you know how she changes her hair color from, uh, maybe dark, light brown. I can't remember exactly. He said, well, what was she wearing? He said, I think she wore pants uh, kind of and a, and a top. No, or maybe it was a dress. I'm not sure. He said, uh, what kind of car was she driving? He said, well, she wasn't driving a car. She was driving my truck. He said, well, what kind of truck was it? He said, it was a 2017 Pearl White Dodge Ram Limited, 4x4, 6.4 liter Hemi, LED lighting, front and rear backup cameras. He said, wow. He said, is that all? He said, well, it's had uh, WeatherTech floor mats and a, a, a trailer hitch and a sunroof, a DVD, and He said, anything else you can help us with? He said, well, it has alloy wheels and off-road Toyo tires and that kind of thing. And at at this point, the husband is just about to break down. Tears in his eyes. 
and the sheriff sees that he is about to melt down. He goes over and puts his arm around the guy. He said, don't worry, sir. You just take it easy. He said, we're going to find your truck. <laughs> so my question to you is, where was this guy's priority? Fellas, that wouldn't be us by any chance, would it? We're way better than that. I'm reading to you the words of Jesus here in Matthew chapter 7. And here's some background on what we just read a few minutes ago. Um, in the book of Matthew, the background is that Matthew is proving that Jesus is Messiah. Uh, as Jesus began his ministry, he started calling men to follow him. These men were uneducated, they were poor, they were misfits, they were ragamuffins, if you will. He called Peter and Andrew. Those guys were fishermen. That was not the most noble of all professions. It was honest. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they mended nets, and they also fished for a living. There was one called Simon the Zealot, who, as far as Scripture is concerned, didn't have a, 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 a real profession but was likely involved in politics and uh, kind of he'd like to overthrow the government, uh, thus, thus the nickname the Zealot. Judas, as you know, was a thief and an embezzler who ultimately was responsible or mainly responsible for Jesus being arrested. Matthew, originally known as Levi, was a hated and despised tax collector. Now, keep in mind, he is the one who is writing this narrative that we're talking about today. To say that the public felt an intense, passionate dislike for Matthew would be a gross understatement. See, there were few, very few professions that caused the public to detest, loathe, and despise those who were in that area. The worst ones were the Jews who were tax collectors, and they were they were just ripping off their own brothers and sisters. Matthew may have been the only disciple with any education, and he was the one who wrote the narrative that we're dealing with today. Now, there were other disciples. We don't necessarily know what they did for, for a living. Tell, tell you a story about Dr. Tony Evans. I, I'm a big fan of his. He's the longtime pastor at Oak Cliff Bible Church in Dallas, Texas. Uh, he was widely known, he is widely known, and was highly respected as an author, a writer, and the chaplain of the Dallas Cowboys for many years. He's probably most famous now for being the father of Priscilla Shira, who does lots of women's Bible studies. Tony Evans told the story about a crack that appeared in the wall of his house. Said, uh, so he called a, a painter to come and, and patch it and mend it, sand it, and then paint the cracks, paint over them. Three months later, the crack reappeared. But this time, there were more cracks. And they were longer, and they were deeper, and they were wider. So he had those cracks patched, sanded, and repainted again. Dr. Evans said that by now, he's getting pretty outdone with the painter. And in another month, even more had more cracks appeared. So he called another company to do what the first handyman could not or would not do well. The foreman of the new company came over and looked at the wall and saw what a mess it was, stared at it for a few moments, and he said, Reverend, the problem is not a poor paint job or a poor patching job, and really the problem is not even the wall. 
He said, the problem is your foundation. He said, your house is apparently built on some weak, unstable ground, and there's sandy soil. And so the foundation is unstable. And because of that, the house settles and then shifts. When the foundation is weak, cracks in the wall are going to appear. Often, you and I spend so much time and effort and energy mending cracks, matching colors, painting walls, and related problems. And we do those kinds of things, and we don't realize really what is wrong and what needs fixing. And it's the foundation. So that's enough talk about walls and cracks and so forth. Jesus is preaching to an audience that is Jewish. They've been served up a spiritual diet of the law since the days of Moses, their ancestor. For them, it has been, I will if you will. This is the relationship of God and the people way before Jesus. Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, has just dealt with a host of topics about giving to the needy, how to pray, about money, about fasting, loving your enemies, divorce, salt and light, and other things. And Jesus begins with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, blessed are those who are persecuted for Jesus' sake. And on and on, and you're probably fami possibly familiar with that. So, what did Jesus teach about those who built their houses on rock or on sand. In Matthew 7 that we just read, Jesus is talking about those, and it, it reminds me of us, he's talking about those who hear his words and then act on them as compared to those who hear his words and then do nothing. I sense that Jesus is speaking these words to all of us, not just here, but to all of us in this culture these days. When, my, when I was a kid, my dad would tell me what and the worst thing that could happen to me was that I didn't do what he told me to do. And I knew that there would be a price to pay because of that. I can't tell you how many times he would say, how many times do I have to tell you yada, yada, yada? And the answer was supposed to be one, Daddy, but it never, it never quite happened that way. Jesus starts off the lesson by saying, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Those, those will enter. And then he says, So everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man or to a wise woman. Or to a wise child, will compare to a wise person who built their house on rock rather than on shifting sand. Listen, this is brand new news for the Jewish listeners who are probably seated on a hillside listening to the master teach them. And his words are echoing deep in their soul because they have never heard this type of preaching before. He's telling them truths that they have never heard. 
and they're responding to it in droves. They had previously been taught by the scribes and Pharisees, those holy men of Israel who gave them the law of Moses plus made-up laws that they thought the people ought to keep, accompanied by more and more commands that quite, listen, that quite frankly were impossible for anybody to keep. The lesson isn't a, this lesson that I'm giving you today is not a blueprint for living, even though the truths that we are talking about here, we need to incorporate those in our lives. The lesson here is about Jesus' intent to do away with the idea that keeping the law of Moses is going to save them from their sins. You and I understand, don't we, that that's not what the Christian life is all about. Understand, the Jewish listeners are the people who have been taught, listen to this, by legalists, and they are frustrated in their faith. See, for them, there is no joy. Only rules that they can't possibly keep. See, the religious foundation of the Jews came from the, the false teachers and prophets of that day. And see, they are giving it, giving it to the people. That is kind of a horizontal relationship. The foundation of their faith came from legalists to each other, to the people. But Jesus is teaching that our relationship is to be with him, not with the Pharisees, not with those teachers of the law, but our, their relationship was to be with the Father. And you see, that is a vertical relationship, and that's what you and I are to have with God the Father. You hear people in the pulpit teach and preach, and you hear that, and you weigh that with what Scripture says. But listen, ultimately, our relationship, our responsibility is to the Father. That is a vertical relationship. Verse 28 reads, When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed. One translation says, The crowds were astonished at his teaching. For his, he was teaching them as one who had authority, not like their scribes. The scribes had religious power back in those days. They were kind of in charge of the synagogue. And they basked in the glow of the power that they took on. There was power and speed versus authority. That's what I'm going to talk to you about for just a second. In remembrance of the passing of Coach Vince Dooley, played at Auburn. I was sure hoping King was going to be here. Not just because they're three and four. <laughs> Vince Dooley played at Auburn, and he coached for many, many years at Georgia. Back in the 1970s and 80s, Herschel Walker and Bo Jackson were two of the, were the two in my humble but accurate opinion, were the two greatest college running backs of all time. They could take a toss sweep from any place on the field and score. They could leap over the goal line for a touchdown. They could outrun fast defenders or run past or run through linebackers and escape for touchdowns. 
there were times when each man could take a pitch and go 80 yards because, here's the point, because they had both power and speed. But if you ever watch college football, you'll see some 60-year-old guy who weighs about 155 pounds wearing a black and white striped shirt toss a yellow flag right where Bo or Herschel had been and bring back the play and tack on 10 more yards for a penalty for holding. You're thinking, so what? Bo or Herschel had speed and they had power. The referee weighing 160 pounds had authority and could nullify a dazzling touchdown. The point is, scribes and Pharisees had the power of the Old Testament law to hang over the heads of the people, the Jewish people. But Jesus preached and taught as one who had authority that was given to him by God. And God, listen, here's the good part. God gives you and me authority as well when it comes to faith and Scripture and a relationship with our Father, the one who created us and who redeemed us and here today who sustains us. Pharisees had a horizontal relationship with the people. The people needed a vertical relationship with the Father. And that's what you and I need to be focused on as well. So as we talk about the foundation of our lives and our Christian faith, let us ask this question. What are we basing our own lives on? I'm going to pause there just for a second. What is the foundation of your life and my life? And the answer is this. If our lives are based on anything other than on Jesus and his word, then our lives are like the house that was built on sand, not on the rock. Clint Ward is a friend of mine, and he has been building homes and commercial buildings around here for decades. I asked him not long ago, when it comes to houses and buildings, what does it take to lay down a strong foundation for that house? And he said, if you're building a house, first, you need solid ground, which keeps the building from settling over time. He said, next, you need solid footing of concrete to complete the foundation. And he said, then concrete blocks are laid to complete the, the process. And he said, if you're building an industrial facility, then you can add rebar for even more strength. Clint said, you can have a quality house. You can't have a quality house or building without a strong foundation. And you're thinking, well, that is so obvious. Well, let me tell you something. For us to have a strong foundation in our life, in our spiritual life, it doesn't need to be weak or shifting. It needs to be strong. As Christ's followers, it's imperative it is a must that the foundation of our lives rest on Jesus and Jesus alone. Did somebody just think amen when I said that? Okay, I, I was just making sure. 
that you weren't all asleep. Having our lives, and especially our faith, being anchored on Christ brings us hope that God is always with us. He is omnipresent. He is always powerful. He's omnipotent. He is all-knowing, meaning that means he, he is omniscient. When our lives are firmly founded in Christ, then He is our rock. When the storms of life come, and they will come, then our lives won't fall apart. We may struggle, but we're going to get through it. It's important. This is important. What we do doesn't gain us notoriety or brownie points with the Father. Sometimes we find ourselves praying and seeking His favor. But the truth is this. We already have His favor. He already loves us. And He has a plan for our lives. You may or may not know this, but let me tell you, you're the apple of His eye. There isn't anything that He wouldn't do for you. He gave His Son, and His Son gave up His life for us. We really are the apples of His life. Having a strong foundation of faith in Christ isn't going to make us immune, however, from the trials and the struggles of this life. And you already know that. We can pray and we can beg God to help a friend or a loved one through a catastrophe, as we should. But let's also ask God to give us and give them grace and strength to endure during that process. If we struggle, things aren't going our way, we will continue to be faithful to Him. We pray that God will heal someone that is dear to us. But remember that being a child of God won't always make things happen the way you and I want them to. But we still, nonetheless, we pray and cry out to the Father. Listen, don't treat God as a heavenly rabbit's foot whom we keep around for good luck. That is not a biblical view of God. In difficult times, let's remember that the Bible tells us that it rains on the just and the unjust. So let's just remember that God is with us. He is always with us. There is never a time when we as his children, when he is not with us. When we are grounded in Christ, when our foundation is on him, he can help us deal with whatever life brings our way. Every church, business, club, organization, school, team, whatever it happens to be. If it, and especially in our families, hard times and struggles will come our way that can crush us emotionally, relationally, spiritually, and so forth. But as Christ followers, many of us have experienced some serious challenges in our faith, whether it's illness or loss of job or whatever it happens, whatever happens. But instead of getting mad at God, or complaining that we've been dealt a sorry hand in life, instead of rejecting the faith that once was such a vital part of our lives, or whining about how unfair life is, instead of wondering what we did to deserve such a pitiful fate. Listen, 
Let's don't forget that our hope and our faith are in Jesus. He, He is our foundation as a follower of Christ. He is our rock and our refuge. He is the one who will never leave us or forsake us. I love hymnology uh, of the Christian faith. In 1787, there was an old English tune entitled, How Firm a Foundation. Uh, As a kid growing up, that was one of the great hymns of the Christian faith. And it goes something like this, and you'll be grateful that I'm not singing it. It says, how, and I'm going to kind of Americanize some of the language with the, no these and thous. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid, meaning the foundation of your life, is laid for your faith in His excellent Word. What more can He say than to you He has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. Now this is God speaking. He says, fear not, I'm with you. Oh, be not dismayed. For I'm your God and will still give you aid. I'll strengthen you, help you, and cause you to stand upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. Then he says, when through fiery trials your pathway shall lie, my grace, meaning God's God's grace, my grace all sufficient shall be your supply. That means will be all that you need. It says, the flame shall not harm you. I only design your dross to consume and your gold to refine. Let me tell you what that means. In those days when they would have a precious metal, it always, always came out of the earth. And if they had found gold or silver, they would put it in a cauldron and get the heat as high as they could get it with burning wood. And, and, and the gold that was in that cauldron, no matter how deep or shallow it may be, it would melt. And what would happen then is that they would be able to come in there and scoop off, kind of get rid of, they called it the dross. That's the impurities that were around the metal. They would get the dross out of there. And what would they be left with but the purest metal? It was the real deal. It was the real thing, and it was pure. And see, you and I go through the heat, and it gets turned up pretty high sometimes. But what ends up after the heat has passed is that we become the real deal. We are, our faith is in Christ. He is, he is loving us still through it, and He is helping us through those hard, hard times that we have been going through. Even when we can't quite understand why things happen to us as they do. I've seen so many, many of you in here that I have known for a long time. But other people, and and you will know others as well. That when we can't understand why things happen as they do. Many, many of you have decided, I'm going to trust God even though I don't understand why things are happening to me like they are. When your circumstances are bottoming out and you you don't have the peace or the joy that you once had, he is still with you, even through the fire. Babby Mason was a a great singer-songwriter back in the, I guess, 70s and 80s. 
And this is, these are a few of the lyrics of a great song that I, have, I, I used to love that she sang. She said, our Father knows what's best for us. His ways are not our own. So when your pathway grows dim and you just can't see Him, remember, you're never alone. God is, hear this, God is too wise to be mistaken. He is too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand, when you don't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, meaning you can't see what he's doing, when you, you, you don't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, then trust his heart because he wants ultimately what is good for you. So let me ask you, tell me about your foundation. What is the foundation of your life? Is it you doing the best that you can do in your own strength? It has been mine at times. Is it just doing the best you can? Is it trying to keep the rules and, and trying to be good? We ought to do the right things. Is it working hard to do the right thing? Is it cleaning up your act? Is it turning over a new leaf? Is it trying to live a better life? Is that you? Is that where your foundation is? If it is, the question begs to be asked, then how good do you have to be? How good? Can you be good enough for him? The Pharisees kept all the laws, and they knew all of the Scripture, but Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. That means that you're clean looking on the outside, but you're full of dead man's bones inside. Jesus called them a brood of vipers. He called them snakes, the religious leaders of the time. When Jesus confronted them about the commandments, those guys could check all the boxes. Jesus came preaching a new commandment to them, however. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment of all? He said, it's to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. You see, they kept all the rules and they checked all the boxes. But the thing that they were missing was that they didn't have love. Their foundation was built on the law. My challenge for us this morning is that, we, that our foundation is on Christ. Edward Mote wrote a great hymn of the faith in, I think, the early 1900s. And it goes something like this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood, righteousness. He said, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly, completely lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's bow our heads. Father, I'm so grateful for the truth of your word. Lord, I, I'm grateful for this church that it cares so deeply about the heart and soul of people. That this church cares deeply about your word. So, Father, I pray that at this time that we would examine, re-examine our lives. That we would make sure that our hope is built on Jesus and nothing else. Father, I pray that you would take these words and strike them deep into our hearts. I ask these things in his holy name.
Amen.